This week on Tea with Queen and Jay, it's a womanist race nerd, black feminist content creator mashup as we interview Kimberly Nicole Foster, creator of For Harriet. We also catch up and talk about what it means to safely adapt to a world with coronavirus. Yeah, that's right. We're still fucking talking about it because what the fuck? It's Tea with Queen and Jay, people. Drink up. All right, all right, all right. Oh my goodness, what's up? What's up, bitch? We're back. We are back. We're back. Motherfucking back, yo. Back back again. Never left. Yes. What song is that? I think Eminem. Oh wow. That cut that cut into a deep crevice of my memory. (laughs) I don't know why. It even popped in my head. I have a white rapper section in my head, and I was like, wait, where is this taking me? Going? I shut that door. I don't have a white rapper section. I don't know why that. Well, obviously you do. I don't know why that's there. All Gotta right. talk to my therapist right. about that now. Yeah, we forgive you. We forgive you. Welcome, Welcome to, to Tea, tea with, with Queen and Jay. We are two, two womanist race nerds talking shit over tea, dismantling white supremacist patriarchal capitalism, capitalism one episode, episode at, at a time. time. I'm Queen. I'm Jay. And, and this, this is Tea with, with Queen and Jay. Jay. Ew. You know I have not owled at all. You haven't owled in a month? I have not. Now that I did it, I was like, I haven't I haven't done this. Right. I think I I don't know why I said it with such shock. I don't think I've owled in a month either. Yeah. I think I was waiting for a communal owl. Yeah, I think that's what I needed. Like I would have owled mm-hmm. and my cat would have been like, What is she? Why are you owling? Yeah. hmm Okay, we could do another one for cleansing. Okay. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right. One, two. Good, 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 good. If you would like to follow the conversation being had on this podcast, podcast, you can do so by using our hashtag T with QJ. We love when you use it on all the social meets. You can also use the hashtag pod in. Also make sure you are following us on the show's meets. We are on Instagram and Twitter at T with QJ is the handle. And we are also on Facebook and the Tumblers. You can just search for us there and follow us you can also send us t-mail at t with queen and j at gmail.com that is how you can send us questions comments silly things go to j and serious things go to me that's not real i'm just joking but yes those are the ways you can hit us up in the socials and the internet each episode we pour libations for the people places and things giving us black ass black joy we pour one out for the homies we pour some out for the ancestors these are our shout outs these are our fucking fucking whatever the fucks yo they are libations. A black joy thingy things. These are our black joy thingy things. What are you pouring libations for this week? I'm pouring libations to all of our listeners. All of our listeners, you guys are amazing by respecting our break and respecting our boundary and not acting like plum fools and understanding that we need self-care, understanding mm-hmm. that Jay and I needed a break. And y'all were like yeah. so amazing and so great. Um, so I just wanted to thank you guys for doing a month without us and not like coming for our next or anything like that. So, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. libations to our listeners you deserve. Ow, you deserve. What are you pouring libations for, Jay? I want to pour libations also for all of us. 
to everybody who is surviving in what is a new way of life for most of us, um, to everybody who's trying to adapt, to people who are trying new things, to people who are coping, to all of us who are doing the same old things, to everybody existing. I want to support libations to all of us because we fucking did it. We're doing it. It's a lot. It is a lot. Things for a lot of people are, you know, places are starting to either reopen depending on what state you are in or finally take this seriously depending on where you're at. And it's a lot, yo. Wherever you are at in this journey, in this process, you have achieved a lot. So I just wanted to pour libations to all of us, all of you and all of us. Word. Word. Yes. So cheers to all of us. This is the part of the show where we talk about how you can support Tea with Queen and Jay podcast. But before we do that, we want to remind everybody that the national uprising has not stopped or global uprising rather. Yeah. Um, this this current season of uprisings keeps going regardless to Algorithms. how little it seems to be. <laughs> right. Regardless to your algorithm. algorithm. Regardless to whether it seems oh, like it's shit. died down or on your timeline, people are still in the streets. Yes. So we include in our show notes, if you look at the show notes of this episode, you'll see a link to different bailout funds, different organizations, different petition lists, and ways that you can support Black Lives Matter as a concept, Black Lives Matter as a movement. Yeah. There is a link directly to the Black Lives Matter organization, but... There are a bunch of other organizations out there that do this work. There's the National Bailout Fund. There is a an organization for every state. So we know that Portland has been a fucking hotbed of disaster. So there a are revolution. bailout funds. <laughs> a revolution, right. There are bailout funds for Portland. There's all kind of shit. For transparency's sake, this is a list that was organized by the NYU campus newspaper. And I think that they make occasional updates to that list. So definitely check that out. It's a lot of information there. And we encourage you to continue to support people on the ground, find a way to support protesters and see what organizers in your community are doing to ensure that we live in a society where everybody is fucking free. Word. No, like dead ass word. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. So, this podcast runs on your support. So, there are two ways that you can donate. You can hit up our PayPal, and that is where you do a one-time donation. Or, you can hit up our Patreon, and that is where you have a little bit more commitment, and you can donate monthly. You can find those links by going to our website, teawithqueenandjay.com, and hit and donate. And then we also have links to those options in our show notes. We also appreciate non-monetary support, and... That is the stuff that doesn't cost you anything. So you can like, share this podcast on social media, tell a friend, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcast, wherever you listen to this, just make sure you rate and review. And all of this stuff, all of it helps grow Tea with Queen and Jay. That is correct. And if everybody who listens to this podcast gives us $2 a month, we will have enough funds to do all the shit that we want to do so we appreciate that shit from you two dollars if you would like to sponsor tea with queen and jay podcast if you'd like to advertise with us if you'd like to hear your ad on tea with queen and jay t-mail us at tea with queen and jay at gmail.com if you'd like to hire us to speak at your school or organization about white supremacist patriarchal capitalism womanism black feminism black hair 
or some shit you've heard us discuss on the podcast, or if you'd like us to do a virtual live show or consult you or your team, send us your team mail at tbwithqueenandj at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Queen, do you want to pour libations for our new patrons this week? Yes, yes. So libations to our new patrons, to Justin, Celicia, Lauren, Allison, Mimi, Stephanie, Joe, Jake, Zoe, Rashonda, Chris, Jonathan, Jules, Space, Caroline, and Cynthia. I feel like I was DMX. Right I know, there. I saw it going um, there. I had to resist I had to resist the urge to mention three Kims. <laughs> and then also the following patrons increase their pledge. We thank you for doing that. Sadie. Hey Sadie! That's my friend. Classic R&B lover. I don't know who you are, but I'm also a classic R&B lover, so I fucks with that. Judy, Erica, Amira, Catherine. Catherine says, up my donation. Hope everything is going okay in your lives. You both are wonderful, and you do important work. Thank you so much for sharing your true and honest selves with us every week. Thank you for that note. That was really cute. Um, So to everyone who needed to reduce their pledge, we understand that's totally fine. If you need to cancel your plan, that is also fine. Adjust your pledge to your need. We are good with that. That is right. We also have PayPal donations. Thanks to everybody who hit us up on the PayPal. Thank you, Lauren, Melissa, John. Thank you to Chris and Anya, who said they sent money for the laptop fund. Thank you so much. Yeah. Regenia says, because I miss y'all and hope you're well. Thank you. Brandon says, all the love. Thank you, Brandon. Jessica says, some green for Jay's computer saving stash. And then she puts a green heart. Thank you. Thank you so much for the show. I've been listening to all the Black Batty Brigade pods for three-ish years now. And I'm so grateful for the womanist race nerd education I've tuned into each week. I affirm rest and abundance for your break. Thank you. And thank you for libating our black baddie brigade for anybody who doesn't know that is our unofficial official podcast collective of mm-hmm. tea with queen and jay podcast queer walk podcast marsh's plate bag ladies and inner hole uprising and some of our other faves so thank you so much bernadette bernadette says i used jay's approach about challenging something head on at work got through the difficult conversation and am 100 glad i did even though i wouldn't have before so grateful for y'all and your work honoring your labor with a little donation toward that macbook pro thank you so much bernadette and congratulations joe on fucking i don't sticking it to the there man. you go i was gonna say standing up for yourself <laughs> but that that is not what i meant because black people <laughs> regardless to how we approach it we are constantly in a state of fucking standing up for ourselves so yeah well, yes yeah. yeah. so cheers so, to you yeah. for sticking it to the motherfucking man roxanne thank you for your donation roxanne says i love your minds and your black joy your podcast is the first i've started listening to consistently ow my face always lights up when I see a new notification on Spotify. I also love your accents. Keep on keeping on. Thank you so much, you know, Roxanne. You know, it's just some a little, a little Bronx. You, you know, know what I'm saying? It's just how we do. Uh, Adrian says 2020 has been wild, but 2020 still remains the year we gave black women our money. That's right. Y'all got snacks. Here's some money for snacks. So you stay nourished while you do this here. Podcast podcast. Um, Adrian (laughs) podcast, the second podcast podcast. You got to put a W in there. It's P A W D cast. Anyway, 
while you're black all the time. Thank you so much. And then he adds a black power fist. Thank you so much, Adrian. We appreciate you. Rebecca broke us off. And Rebecca says, white guilt money from Becky, my actual name. Thanks for the podcast and enjoy the July break. Thank you, Rebecca, for your white guilt money. We appreciate and spent that shit. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. All right. Are you ready to get into the motherfucking show? Yo, it's been so long. It has. I'm I'm ready to get into the show. It has has been a minute. I am very excited to be back, yo. I am. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. So, Jay, what are your pronouns? My pronouns are she, her, they, them. And separate from my pronouns, I am not a lady. What are your pronouns? She, her, and what kind of tea are you drinking, Jerry? Um, I'm actually having are you coffee. Drinking tea? No, I'm having coffee. No elixirs today. No elixirs today. I'm actually low on my elixirs. Y'all know that I really, we really love at this podcast, Teas by G. Teas? Yes. Teas by G is a black owned tea company that sells CBD infused teas and other delicious concoctions so please be sure to check out teasbyg.com so yeah i'm running low and i need to to re-up on all of my shits Mm. so that's where i'm at with that but i am having coffee and it's delicious i love coffee i hate coffee yeah so gross I, I don't understand enjoying bitterness yeah it's an acquired taste and my mom growing up was a huge coffee drinker because she worked at night and was a single black mom and i grew a taste for it because i wanted to do adult things so um, my dad is a like into coffee not because he worked at night mm-hmm. he just is a has an addictive personality so um <laughs> he was addicted to the coffee what kind of tea <laughs> what kind of tea are you drinking I am drinking green tea, and I guess I miss my friend Janicia because I put mad agave in his yes. shit, and I don't do that. Is it good? That's what Janicia does. Were you suffering? It's mad sweet. Okay. I'm drinking, like, hot, sweet tea. Well, like, you know what? Enjoy it like a treat. <laughs> it's a treat. You know? You don't have to. It's okay in moderation. Like I am. Know, a, I'm a sugar addict. There you so go. So it's like. It's like starting my day like this is. Uh, well, just remember you started off like this. And then yeah, count true. it as your sugar dose for the day. You was right. You was right. What are you affirming for yourself this week? So I affirm, as always, that I'm a bad bitch. I affirm that I am enough. I affirm that I will continue my employment. Some shaky shit is happening. Mm. I affirm that I will continue having the job that I have because I actually really, really like my job. I've never liked a job before. Right. So this is like... Ooh, this is different. Mm-hmm. Um, I also affirm that I am well rested. My hair and fashions are popping. My body and mind are healthy, and that I will forever and always stunt on these hoes. I actually love when y'all see pictures of me and y'all like, yes, bitch, stunt. Because I'm a words of affirmation person, so it helps. Mm-hmm. So keep doing that, y'all. I affirm a continued and safe and healthy reopening of New York City. Um, I also want to affirm a safe shutdown of other cities and towns that was fucking wilding. Wilding. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I affirm that for you guys too. And then y'all can get to a safe reopening phase as well. And I also affirm, I still affirm that 2020 will be full of fucking bundles. Like it's still going to be a year that something great of abundance happens for your ass. Mm-hmm. So I want to affirm that for me, for Jay, for all the listeners, for the listeners' families, even to the listeners' plants. Everything you touch gets a bundles in 2020. Mm-hmm. 
So that's what I affirm. I love that. What do you affirm, Janice? Well, I'm so glad that you brought up fucking plant life because I want to affirm keeping <laughs> my plants alive. Now you've been doing you. I've been I've been putting the work in, but I feel like some plants that are like determined to die but i was told by apple care that these were supposed to be easy <laughs> plants to care for so i don't know i'm i am having challenges but i am learning a lot about plants and plant care in the process so far i'm do you talk to them not enough not enough yeah, i've fallen off on actually a lot of that like my altar right now is fucking bone dry okay my fucking plants i am watering them but not talking to them i'm doing the bare minimum on a lot of shit so mm-hmm. that that is good advice. So I need to get on top you of gotta, that. Yeah, you got to name them. So you can be like, oh, look at you, Tanisha. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. Look at you. And Tanisha going to be like, damn. Shoulder shimmy, grow. I did. A, I sh- I shoulder you shimmy. did. You did. <laughs> yeah. So I want to affirm abundance for my plants. I want to mm-hmm. affirm a life full of abundance, health, wealth, sustainable, rewarding, and financially beneficial self employment. I affirm that I'm enough. My apartment is paid for. My rent is paid. I'm productive. Opportunities are fruitful and bountiful without trauma. I affirm liberation and power to all the people. And this is a Mm -hmm. celebration announcement. Usually I take this time to affirm that I'm going to be able to get a new motherfucking MacBook Pro with all the fixings. But due to everybody's support of the podcast, due to your donations, we were able to get me a brand new MacBook Pro. Para. Welcome to 2020, yes. even though you've been here. Welcome, to, you've been through this welcome to 2010. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to 2015. I got a new model, but I could have definitely used one in 2015. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm very, very thankful for that. I'm thankful to all your donations. I'm thankful. Like, this is this really makes a huge difference in my fucking work life for this podcast and just like general like shit so i definitely appreciate all of you for supporting us and supporting me in that area yo so thank you thank you thank you so much so queen what have you been doing on break so how have i been doing a break what have i been doing I have been sleeping. That bitch has been good. Mm-hmm. I actually feel really refreshed. I really enjoyed the break. I really enjoyed not having to think about content yeah. constantly. Right. So that was helpful. I didn't really have to pay attention to things mm-hmm. in the ways that I used to. So it was helpful for my brain. I had lots of sex. Mm-hmm. That was popping, you know. Um, I visited family. I did two weekend trips. So I visited my mom, brothers, and uh-huh. stuff like that. And I also visited my best friend and her family, her husband and kids. So that was cute. Mm-hmm. Kids help. Yeah. Not as much when they're yours, but when they're other people's mm-hmm. kids, they help your mood. So that was like really, really good. Started some books that I didn't finish because I don't have an attention span. Right. And I started playing The Sims. You, which has you been have, fun. You've been playing The Sims though, right? Yeah, but I didn't start playing it on my computer, like a computer game. I just Got had it, it on my phone, oh, okay. and I would tap in every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But, like, I'd be sitting at the computer playing a fucking game. Yeah. Who would have thought? Yeah, yeah, who would have yeah. thought? So you're traveling. You did a few trips, like you said, and visited friends and stuff. How have you been, like, staying safe in terms of coronavirus and all of that stuff with your travel and connecting with I only friends? hang out with people. I have, like... I got, I'm selling this some work, mm-hmm. but I have like COVID cohorts. So right. we will spend time with people that I know who have been taking social distancing just as serious as mm-hmm. me. So that's why I went to my mom's. My brother came. Like everyone in my family has been 
one, we have the privilege where a lot of us are working from home, so okay. we can social distance easier. Mm-hmm. So that was cool to do that. And then the same with my um, friend and her husband, like her family. They're, they're taking it very seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, as soon as I got in the house, she's like, wash your hands, bitch. Like, mm-hmm. everyone is, like, very, oh, so like, loving. the people that I visited. Mm-hmm. I know, right? <laughs> I felt all the tingles and everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's how that has been and then I did go to like a graduation dinner okay. to celebrate my friend. She like like she's just a dope ass friend. She was like I have to have to go. But I appreciate it when I went. As soon as I get to the table, one of the women pulled out a contact with thermometer mm-hmm. and was like, Let me take your temperature. you cannot sit down. Right. Right. <laughs> Until I take your temperature. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to so I've been with people who take it just as seriously right. as me. Okay. So that has Good. been Helpful and it eases, eases my mind, and I'm not like nervous. Yeah. Right, right, right. Times. Yeah, and yeah. we're we are at this stage after all the deaths. We're in New York, where things have slowed down a bit, and our numbers are a lot lower, or whatever. So that definitely yeah. is um something to be it makes it, thankful yeah, about. Yeah, I wouldn't have did those things formally. Facts, 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 facts. Yeah. So how was break for you? Um, it was good. It went by mad fast. But I did get some rest. I also enjoyed not having to produce a podcast, not having to be like tapped in, tapped into social media. So that was really, really Mm -hmm. good. I took a virtual, well, everything is virtual. So I took a defund the police course (laughs) because what's really good with that? Um, Mm -hmm. That's one of those things that like us and most of pe- most people in our community like believe in but a lot of us were having trouble grasping okay how does this work what does it mean yeah. how are we supposed to share this message effectively with other people or whatever so i'm definitely glad i took that course i got a lot of clarity so that was helpful i made some decisions about the crib what am i gonna okay. paint what am i gonna wallpaper i got through some of those decisions like like maybe 15 percent of the shit that i want to do in here but yeah i feel good because I, I very rare i'm very stereotypical bachelor so i very rarely think about the design of my apartment so i'm glad that i had gotcha. some mental space to do that and I am currently in the process of adapting to this new life in a fucking coronavirus world. I think I was really like in this mindset of like waiting, just waiting kind of for it to be over. And I'm just now sort of like catching up. It's to, not going to be over. Yeah, yeah. catching up it's to not, that. It's not going to be over. Right. So, so how do how do we proceed? How do we exist? What What is life like now moving forward and moving cautiously because coronavirus has not gone away so um yeah so i've been trying to strategize how do i move forward in all areas of my life career wise fucking dating wise and all that good shit so i definitely i cautiously met with a few friends my favorite is meeting with friends who are more paranoid about coronavirus than i am that's when i feel safe yeah, me too. Like when best. I got to that dinner table yeah. and they pulled out a th- that I was like, these mm-hmm. are my people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel so you. that's that's been the best thing for me. And I scheduled therapy, which I had been mad and... lax about. I knew I had to do it, but I was mad lax about it. So I'm glad that I got that done. Yeah. So that was break, yo. I'm glad we took a break. We'll definitely do it again. That was our first time taking like a full month off, but it was definitely needed. And so I am glad that we did that. And I'm glad that we're back. How? Were you with the break? Because I know, like, for you, mm-hmm. like, 
it was hard. Yeah, it's it, kind of it was hard. Breaks. And I, I took a break from the podcast. But your ass was still trying to work. Yeah, I was still trying to work. <laughs> and I was still working, like, on other stuff. And so... Yeah, 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 of course. I took a break from the podcast, but I honestly wish that I had um, scheduled a break from, from everything, quite frankly. Like, because mm-hmm. I don't... Um, I don't do a lot of travel just because of financial constraints right now. So a break for me is like not doing shit or like finding things to do in a coronavirus world that, you know, are fun for me or whatever. And I think that because I am generally a busy person, even though I stopped the podcast or we took a break from the podcast, I still was doing all the other things that I normally do. Mm -hmm. And that in itself is already kind of a lot so i think it would have been good to break from everything so i'm mm-hmm. gonna make that a priority next time i like call for a break i'm gonna be like okay how do how can i make sure i'm breaking from everything so that i feel like really like i'm fucking on break don't fucking call mm-hmm. me leave me the fuck alone get out of here but what i will say though is that it did give me space to advance in other areas and other projects i was able to think about things that i don't normally have time to think about so it was uh-huh. it was good. It was good. But I do want to make sure that I take time to take a break off from fucking everything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but it was cool. So this episode is a very special episode. <laughs> <laughs> Today on a very special episode of Tea with Queen and Jay. Tea with Queen and Jay. It's nah, Friday, it September 27th. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking about the daily. <laughs> I know you were. I knew I was like, they're so dramatic. All right, anyway. They are very dramatic. The producers girl going. Jay and I, we actually have a guest this episode, which is amazing for us because we don't do lots of guests. But when we do them, we do them right. Okay? When we do a guest, we do them fucking right. So on this episode, we are having a conversation with Kimberly Forster of For Harriet. Um... It's a, it's a great conversation. I loved it. You loved it, Jay? I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I love interviewing people that we really like and not people yeah. that we want to punch in the face because I feel like there are <laughs> podcasts or content creators that will interview fucking anybody. So I really yeah. value having conversations that we want to have, talking to people that we are actually curious about. And I remember preparing for the interview, and this was like the first time where I was like, wait, I actually... Who is this person? Like, I know, <laughs> I know her work. I, you know, she yeah. has been in the media space for a really long time. So all of that shit, I know. But like, how did we get here? How did you become this yeah. kind of person? Yeah. Why are you creating this content? They don't do a lot of interviews. It's like Beyonce or something. Right. You know? like, right. So it was hard to like find things. It was really, really good to talk to Kimberly because we got to like ask questions mm-hmm. that we wouldn't have got the answers to otherwise. I mean, what was your favorite part of the interview? My favorite part, and it was actually helpful, basically how, like, we were talking about, like, beauty. And, like, she's like, I'll just go on with no makeup because that's just what I look like. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I get called ugly all the time. Okay. Like, whatever. Right. And in the moment, it was just like, I know that's what it is. Mm-hmm. But then the following week, I had got a whole bunch of Anime a Weekend fans coming from me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I was able to just be like, mm, whatever. Like, this is this has right. nothing to do with me. Fans this of The Weekend, the, the artists of- you're talking about. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I was Thank like, you, you got anime fans during the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and then I remembered what had happened because I know you personally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A weekend full of anime fans. 
following you but you had a bunch of people you you had a tweet that went viral about the weekend and his new not about the weekend it was about anime right but to give people but it was about japanese anime that from the weekend's new music video or whatever he created correct yeah but it was more so critiquing a black anime um space that still had like white girls in it so it wasn't like a direct critique of the weekend. I don't really care about him, mm-hmm. but his fans found me. Whatever. The thing is that lots of people were like in my mentions calling me fat, black, ugly, they're like all kinds of things. Right. But I was able to just be like, this has nothing to do with me. And I know it's because I just heard Kimberly's like, look, people call me ugly every fucking day. Mm-hmm. So and it was like in my head. Right. So it was like, oh, this it helped me just like not I literally not like fake I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like I literally did not care. Mm-hmm. So that was like good to have that ringing in my ear. Like, bitch, this is they just that's just the nature of what they do. Right. They don't call you ugly every day. You gotta have friends in real life, which I do. Mm-hmm. You know, like so it was just like okay, yeah. this don't matter. Let me just block and report mm-hmm. and move on with my life. Yeah. So I'm still able to like thrive and be a bad bitch. You know, I love it. Yeah. What was yours? Um, I really liked that she was open about talking about like income oh, and yes. mm-hmm. that whole piece. When I, when I interview and talk to creatives, I do talk to them about how they sustain themselves because a lot of us create, mm-hmm. but aren't able to sustain ourselves via the content we create or our yeah, art or whatever. Exactly. So I usually ask, how do we sustain ourselves? But I didn't mm-hmm. expect to ask her like necessarily about her business model because that's just not typically my area of like concern or whatever. So I appreciated her openness with that. I was driven to ask her that question. So I appreciated her openness with that. Also people who listen to this podcast know that there is an element of this that is like cathartic for me. And that has served as uh, I don't want to say a substitute for therapy, but y'all know what it is. So I, (laughs) through this conversation, I was like, I need to get therapy now. So that I'm not doing mm-hmm. that because there was so many things that she said that resonated with me. And I was like, oh, let's have yeah. a conversation about this. And I'm like, we're in an interview. <laughs> Get some help. OK, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I definitely signed up for therapy right after this. Mm-hmm. But it was cool. I just really enjoyed her overall. I appreciated the conversation. And yeah. yeah, I like having conversations with people that I connect with. And I like having conversations with people who like to fucking talk. So I really did yes. appreciate everything that she brought to the table. And I hope that you all enjoy this motherfucking conversation with kimberly nicole foster of for harriet so for anybody who doesn't know kimberly foster kimberly foster is a writer cultural critic and founder and editor-in-chief of for harriet a multi-platform digital community and a leading voice for black women's journalism and storytelling so thank you for agreeing to join us on tea with queen and jay thank you for having me thanks for being here yeah that's great thank you so we have been as consumers of black girl media for a long time and all things black media in general, we have both been consuming your content since the beginning, I would say, I think. I thought that you had been around or that your work had been around longer than it has because it just feels like so much a part of what has been my existence in like knowing of black girl media for a long time. Yeah, I just remember for Harriet being a content source that I could trust you know what I'm saying like a place where I could I I felt like I might read something that I don't agree with maybe but it wouldn't be anything 
that I felt harmed by or that I didn't feel included in. And I know for me as somebody who doesn't identify as a lady, I'll say growing up like essence didn't really speak to me in the way that I know it spoke to a lot of other black women. Just when I think of like media. So I would consume, you know, the source, I would consume double XL. I would consume as like blogging became the thing. There were things that I was consuming here and there, but I do remember. Yeah. Tapping into for Harriet queen. What about you? Very similar to um, what Jay just said. I connected with for Harriet because I saw a space where it wasn't like about how I get a man and all of these things centering like, you know, ways to give him an orgasm. All of this stuff, like it's a lot of women publications that center men and they don't even realize how much they're centering men. Um, so it was nice to just find a media space where it was like black girl shit. Like, yeah. Or even I feel like a lot of times the media a lot of times I felt like it was about like climbing some type of ladder and I'm like can I just exist do I always have to be like running and trying to catch some shit and be some type of thing can we just exist and talk about like shit that we're dealing with right now together that's how I remember engaging with for Harriet in the early stages what made you start for Harriet yeah, I mean, for Harriet has been around for a long time. The brand for 10 years. That's a long time in internet years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm 31. I yeah. was 21 when I started the website. Mm-hmm. And I started it because I just felt like no shade to any other brands that are directed toward black women. But I did feel like a lot of the stuff that was aimed toward us was vapid. It was like very male-centered, like male-gaze-centered, but cloaked in the language of women's empowerment. Um, Mm -hmm. At that time on the internet, there was so much beauty stuff and hair stuff. And by the way, that shit is great. Like, I, you know, (laughs) like, especially since quarantine, I had to figure out how to do my own hair. Like, thank God, like, y'all out here, like, giving tips and stuff. Like, that is, that's important. And it's important for us to be able to have community around aesthetics and adornment and all that. But I just felt like there were other conversations to be had. And that the spaces, and I grew up, I still, okay, I grew up, I'm just gonna lie. I grew up loving Essence. (laughs) Okay, and uh-huh. so there is value in that, but there also needs to be an alternative. But also, I was really inspired by a website called the Crunk Feminist Collective, which is still they still they still post occasionally. But at 21, I was really coming into my black feminist identity and really becoming radicalized in my politics, radicalized in a good way about what needs to happen to improve the lives of black women and not just a small subsection of black women, all black women. And so I wanted to create a space that was accessible and informative where black women could come together and have conversations about our lives. That was just like, let's like, like y'all are saying, like we just want to be free and we want to not be, you know, try to be respectable, you know, like just different, something new. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you have a preference on, because, you know, we call ourselves born and space nerds. Do you have a preference when it comes to being a womanist or a black feminist or a feminist? Like, is there a preference when people identify your black woman politics? I describe myself as a black feminist. 
Mm-hmm. That is my preference. I don't have a problem gotcha. with people. I don't know. Womanism is a little tricky. It's tricky, but yeah, I do. You can say it. Get into it. Womanism is a little tricky for me because I find that there are people who claim the term womanism and not in the way that Alice Walker outlined it, but they right. claim uh-huh. womanism in this an anti-feminist way. You know, right. and, and yeah. you can't mm-hmm. you can't be anti-feminist and be a womanist, right? Like they're right. they yeah. the concepts are related. They're they're not the antithesis mm-hmm. of each other. So if you mm-hmm. doing that hotep shit and like the the exactly. the patriarchal shit and the capitalistic right. shit, like you're not really a womanist. But there's mm-hmm. like a section of people mm-hmm. who have clung to that. But I will say, just the same way that I don't let racist white women own. Feminism, I also don't let the hoteps own womanism. But I've just, right. I came to it via black yeah. feminism. So that's just what I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, we get that totally. And then just for anyone who this may be their first time listening to Tea with Queen and Jay, we do identify as womanists here on this podcast. And we find for those who are ignorant to this whole section of theory and thinking, oftentimes black feminists women who are black and feminists tend to get lumped into white feminism or in that conversation. So when we're presented with general conversations about feminism or we've listened, we've listened to other black feminists on podcasts be interviewed by even other black women who are just kind of ignorant to feminism period. They present them with white feminism and ask them a bunch of questions about white feminism and why they're a white feminist. They don't use white feminists. They don't say white feminists, but we all know that they're talking about white feminism and you're sitting talking to a whole ass black woman asking her about white feminism. And that's a great opportunity, of course, to talk about the differences in feminist politics, of course. But for us, it's been this way to differentiate from that. And we're totally comfortable with being referred to as yeah, black feminists feminist as well. But womanism has been where I felt most comfortable landing in my journey throughout feminism, black mm-hmm. feminism, womanism, and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, I will say the black does a lot of work in the the construction black feminism. Right. And I think people try to minimize that. And yeah, I agree with you. Like, I feel like I always have these conversations with, I mean, primarily with men about why would you want to associate with white women? And it's like, that's actually not it, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's not it's yeah. not useful for us to erase the centuries of work that black women have done. The incredible, mm-hmm. like, path-breaking work. We're all talking about intersectionality now. Like, that's black feminist work. We're talking about intersecting oppressions, white supremacist, capitalist, patriarchy, the understanding that all oppressions are linked. And so we have to dismantle all that shit, like... Black feminists, mm-hmm. like, did that shit. So so I think it's really yeah. important for us to not cede that ground. Yeah, definitely. You, talk, you mentioned your journey or kind of hinted at your journey to feminism, to black feminism. What, what was that journey? And I feel like because we're all raised in white supremacist patriarchal capitalism, we all have a journey to destructing that and to our own liberation and to the liberation of each other, right? So like, what was your journey to that and how did you get here? I always knew something was wrong. Like I always knew, Mm -hmm. I definitely, 
I grew up very religious. So we when I was a kid, okay. I went to church three times a week, sometimes four mm-hmm. times a week. Like we yes, girl. were uh-huh. you do there. all day church, all day Sundays, sun, like like morning service, afternoon service. I would say we went to um Sunday school, which is like get there at like eight thirty and then the actual church service doesn't end until like one one thirty, and then mm-hmm. sometimes you know you go off and like eat or whatever. But maybe there's a uh, something at another church, so then you got to go back yes. to church at like four mm-hmm. or something. Or if there's yeah. a a musical, which is like you know a, you're singing songs, so you have to come back. There's a program, mm-hmm. so there are definitely mm-hmm. all day church days. But yeah, but also like right. having to mm-hmm. do church stuff on Saturday, you got to go up. The, it's like it's just a it was a lot. That was like I can relate. I'm, I am. I'm having trouble listening to it right now because I remember it. It's in my bones. It's in my body. What? Uh, what denomination? Um, Baptist. I think the okay. um the full title of like the church I grew up in was like Missionary Baptist Church. So like okay. just um mm-hmm. like the church that I grew up in actually you women couldn't wear pants. Um, yes, in the sanctuary. Likewise. Yeah, like it's a, mm-hmm. you know, but it was, but I will say I've had conversations with people of other denominations like Kojic and Pentecostal and they describe their oh, experience. Pentecostal, yeah, I'm Pentecostal apostolic or I was. They, y'all yeah. describe your experience and I was Girl, like, oh, you said we one thirty. Yeah. You said y'all got out at one thirty. <laughs> it's like, was like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's early. No, that I guess. early for yeah, us. Yeah, it's like, y'all describe it. It sounds like y'all was in prison for real. Like, yeah, it was different know. levels. Definitely different <laughs> levels of oppression. And when I was a kid, it was worse than as, like, I got older and people were, like, saying, hey, this is, like, really not cool. Like, people who wanted to stay there were saying things and trying to make some level of change. It just was not happening fast enough for me. And it has it has not happened. It's never going to get all the way fixed. Um, So, yeah. So, I'm free. I'm glad you're free. That's a lot. It was a lot. That's intense. You were not in the mosque that long. (laughs) From what I understand, the approach uh, as an outsider, the approach to Islam is different. Like, it sounds like from what I understood, it sounds like the journey is more personal, like your journey with God is more of a personal journey than I find in Christianity, where it's like, hey, we're all doing these things together. We have to do it together. We have to acknowledge together that we are praying. And well, it, de- it, de- it depends on what kind of Muslim you okay. are. But like for me, it wasn't, uh, but I didn't have to be at the mosque mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. But you do go to the mosque to pray. Blah, 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 right. But you weren't like. This Monday, Tuesday, like when y'all talk about yeah. going to church three or four times a week, that's I was not at the mosque. Yeah. Actually, I was at the mosque a lot, but that's because it was a school in the mosque right. and like other kind of community kind of pieces, mm-hmm. but not like the actual religious. Right, right, right. I always felt like we were there so much because they were like, we don't even want to give you a chance to sin. Like, mm-hmm. okay, so, <laughs> so like, we're gonna be back here for choir rehearsal and drill team and Bible study yep. and like Sunday Any school. Any free time. Because so. free time is the devil. You might yeah. be able to think about something, you might read something. Yeah, might kiss somebody, but we still found a way. We still did it. Like there's always a way. There's always always a way. Always a way. There's always a way. Um, So so, you grew up really religious. Yes, very religious. But even as a kid, I was like, it don't make no sense. Like, why women are doing all the work? Women are here all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. So why? are women less than, you know, like, like I just realized really early that this, the entire structure 
of this church is not possible without the intellectual labor of black women, without the physical labor, the emotional support. Like, so why are women supposed to be subordinate? It just never made sense to me. And then my mom, my mom is a single mom. And Mm -hmm. I just remember her being so capable and she and she's an engineer she has a kind of a a masculine like a i'm using air quotes masculine like career where Uh she was just surrounded by men all the time and so i saw her every day kind of subvert those gender norms and she would do it but then she would also like ascribe subscribe to these really and i'm like this don't make sense like 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 in your everyday (laughs) life you are showing that women can do all of these different things and they're outside of those norms but then you're taking us to church where it says that we are supposed to be seen and not heard and women are not supposed to preach and we can't wear pants and I'm like you know it's not adding up yeah, is, it, um, is it Uchi Wally or one mic <laughs> like that one of those type it's Uchi Wally yeah. okay <laughs> enough <laughs> it's Uchi Wally no, I, I agree. it is Uchi Wally but yeah. yeah and so yeah. I just from I was just like this don't make sense so I was just like I would go and I would pretend, but I was always from a, I, like, I had to be eight or nine where I was like, I just don't agree with this. I'm here because mm-hmm. I have to be, but what y'all are saying, I just do not agree with. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I got older and I was able to, I mean, I like, I sometimes I say television raised me because my mom was working so much that I would just, mm-hmm. I was a latchkey kid, so I would just come home mm-hmm. and watch Oprah got all it. day. And so being, and, and like read books, like I remember sneaking and reading, um, waiting to exhale when I was a little kid. And I would just, I was just mm-hmm. taking in these I ideas. snuck and read that too. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, women need to. I didn't have to sneak. My mom ain't care. <laughs> Think for some reason. Oh, I I think because I'm y'all are like older, or, you know. I was like way down the line. My mother didn't. Oh care yeah, anymore. I was the oldest. You were we, Kim Kimberly. You only child or no? I was the youngest, and so that's the okay. other thing oh, is okay. my sister is eight years older than me, and so she would mm-hmm. be playing things and leaving things around like music and stuff and leaving things around, and so I would like sneak in. You know, I remember one time like this is a big deal when um hardcore. I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. What what year did yeah. that come out? I just remember it being a big deal when my sister brought home hardcore and my mom found it. Oh, this is like mm. a dramatic black parent story. Yes. So, <laughs> I wasn't even, I wouldn't Let's even challenge bringing that in the house. Yeah, I listened to my friends. I didn't have my own. Oh, wow. I, I knew the we, album from You my sound friend. like your sister had cover art and everything. <laughs> yes, because I, I remember oh the gosh. cover art with her like squatting and legs open. And my mom found it. And we're she talking made... about Little Kim for any black people who don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And my mom made this big deal of like, what is this? And then she, um, this, I remember this in the kitchen and she put it on the, the CD. And this is like the, with the jewel cases and everything. She put it on the, the kitchen, the island in the kitchen. And she took a hammer and she smashed it. <laughs> the drama. <laughs> that, ooh, drama. That, is, ooh, that is black church drama. Black that church is that's a Tyler that for me that looks like a Tyler Perry kind of yes that's why we watch those movies yes (laughs) they're real it's not a lie this is black parent dramatics okay I'm like sis you could have just confiscated it Throw that it is away. every drag show you've ever seen <laughs> no, in your whole she, life. She had to make a point. Yes. Like, like mm. this is, 
It's trash. I re- mm-hmm. I just remember that oh so so clearly of just being like, we do not do this. This is unacceptable. But of course, mm-hmm. she was working, right? She was a, a single parent, so she could not mm-hmm. be there mm-hmm. to police all of our. Yeah. Like what we were watching, what we were listening mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just was like, there's got to be a different way. And I also saw my mother, who is so capable um, and independent in a good way, um, that she also has four brothers. She has four sisters and four brothers. And every mm-hmm. uh, every holiday, the women would do all the work. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this is not, they don't make no sense. Like... I want to be with the men. Like, they they just sitting back and watching TV, mm-hmm. watching football games. And it's the women. Mm-hmm. It's It was pushed, put upon the shoulders of the women to do the cooking, to do the cleaning, to shoot. Yeah. My mom loves to host, right? So making sure the house is right and we're vacuuming. And I'm like, what are they doing? That seems mm-hmm. like the that's the <laughs> position that I want to be in, right? right and so right. Yeah. I, I just mm-hmm. really questioned gender roles and why so much labor is put on the shoulders of women and black Mm. women in particular, but I didn't have Mm -hmm. language for it. And I did not develop or come to that language until I went to college. Right. Right. Oh, this is all very traumatic. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in my head thinking, yo, I'm glad that you didn't, you you don't have a brother. No. Okay. So, so what is just to add to that level of like watching all the women do shit and you also Mm -hmm. doing shit and vacuuming and cleaning up or whatever, having a brother who is, he might be doing shit because my mom would have my brother like do some shit, but it was still an element of that he should be hanging out with the men and not doing shit. So like those power dynamics, like already feeling like, okay, this is not right. But then your peer who is like your your little brother or whoever, your sibling, your fucking peer sibling nigga not doing shit. It's like added uh, trauma. I'm going to sign up for therapy because yeah, I'm like, I lot. feel this in my bones. I feel it, it in is, my bones. It is a lot. I, I do ascribe to wanting to do nothing. Like now I am that person. Everyone knows if I'm coming for the holidays, I might bring a dish. I might not. I'm not really going to help. I'm not going to put the stuff away. Like, but it's allowed because I have so many siblings that it's not like a big deal. That yeah. Mm-hmm. And now I will say that adult Kimberly, I feel a lot more empathy. I understand it better now that I get that she. I think a lot of Black women take a great deal of pride in their ability to be caretakers and their ability to mm-hmm. um, offer some kind of comfort to other people in their lives, To whether that be yeah. via food. My mom, like, again, loved to host people in her home. Like, she loved that arena, you know, like the mothering, caretaking arena. Like, I can't relate and I think that's why I'm such a passionate feminist. Like, it's not in me, but it was in her. And I think that because she was navigating spaces that were filled with white men who treated her like shit, like treated her as less than a woman, um, she really delighted in the ability to, like, be domestic. Um, now, I'm really, I'm a feminist because we should be able to choose. Like, I don't think it's right mm-hmm. that I should be expected to do right. that just because I'm a girl. But if that's mm-hmm. if that's your jam, like if that's what makes you feel great, like do it. But don't force me. Mm-hmm. Don't force it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you've been, like I said earlier, doing for Harriet for 10 years. That's a really long time. 
and it started out as a just a written medium just like kind of a blogging kind of medium. and it's grown into now to me it seems as though just mostly video mm-hmm. what made you transition from writing and blogging and then transitioning you know move basically to the left yeah. and it'd be like a primarily a blogging kind of platform well there's a few reasons why there was a transition um one I started for Harriet during the heyday of blogging. Everybody had a blog. Mm -hmm. Everybody was trying to get their blog community off and with their little niche interests. And people were really reading blogs a lot. Um, That was back in like the RSS days where people were really Google reader and you would read 10 blogs a day and actually go to the website. And so when I was coming to my feminist politic and thinking of what's the best way or the most effective way to have these multi-general conversations about progressive black women's politics, I was like, oh, it's a it's a blog. It's got to be a blog. But um, since then, the way that people engage with content on the Internet has changed. Um, people aren't really mm-hmm. going to blogs. There's no more Google Reader um, now. I mean, it's. I think, you know, things are kind of cyclical, right? Because now we're back in like the newsletter era where people are beginning again to engage with written word, especially like for their niche niche interests again. But there was definitely a period where that completely dropped off. And I saw it in um, just behavior, but also saw it in ad revenue, but also like... When I first started for Harriet, I did not think I was going to be a writer. I, I did not imagine for Harriet as being a space where I would be the face of it because I just didn't believe in my own voice. Like, I was like, who wants to listen to me? I don't know anything. Like, my mm-hmm. role, you know, because I was 21, I didn't know shit. I thought my role will be I will create this space and invite all of these other women into this space to share their knowledge um, and share their unique insights. And it will be a collaborative effort. Yeah. And then um, people's behavior changed and the way that blogging kind of died off. But then I also became just much more confident in my own voice, in my in my politics. You know, I learned a lot along the way um, and I saw the rise of videos and I was like, oh, I can do that. I was like, I think I can. You know, people say I have a good personality. <laughs> like, I can do this. And so I tried it uh, initially just on Facebook and there was lots of really good positive feedback and then my nieces were born maybe my nieces were born before or after after i tried it but my nieces were born and then they became you know kids love youtube okay like they love freaking youtube and so hanging out with them and their obsession with youtube and that made me like kind of get deeper into youtube and i was like Oh, people are making a lot of money here. Like, this is like, I was like, and then I would, I would read about it and read all these things about video mm-hmm. being the future and YouTube is where it's at. And I looked and I saw, okay, I don't know if anybody's really doing what I would want to do on this platform. So wouldn't it be cool if I brought the For Harriet ethic of uh, progressive black women's uh-huh. politics, collaboration, community building, if I brought that to the YouTube space? And so I really decided to dig into it like two and a half years ago. I had posted videos on and off mm-hmm. before then, but about two and a half years ago, I was like, okay, we're going to really focus on this and build it out mm-hmm. and then have that be the springboard to, I don't know, try a podcast or try a newsletter or try something else. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I do remember that moment being like, oh, that's Kimberly. Okay. 
Because <laughs> you, you've same. talked about in the past, I've heard you in other v- interviews talk about not wanting to be the face of for Harriet. So I know that it was a journey to like becoming like I am, you know, Kimberly Foster. I do for Harriet being that person. Yeah. But it also kind of made me wonder because I'm not a huge YouTube person. So I saw your face in whatever video clips were posted on Twitter. And that's when I was like, oh, there she is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing is like, I think I really understand social media. And so mm-hmm. I understand the importance of not not just relying on one platform. So like if you make right, a video yes. on YouTube, then make sure that some of those clips get to Twitter, make sure some of them get to in- Instagram and Facebook mm-hmm. because different mm-hmm. people hang out in different places. So sometimes people will be like, Say I know you again. from I know you from Facebook and it's like, okay, or people will be like, I just okay, saw you on Instagram. Yeah. Okay, that's fine, but it's the same brand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just to piggyback on the mention of Twitter, in those times, I guess, when you didn't want to be the face of For Harriet, what was your relationship to Twitter? Like, because I feel like it's leveraged now for people to be their brand and to push, you know, their brands and stuff. Yeah. What you know, was that like? Things have really changed. And I'm saying not mm-hmm. always for the best. Um, right. I love what I do, I think I made the right choice in deciding to put myself out there. I'm glad I waited. I'm really glad because I get a lot of shit and I don't know if I would have been able to to take it uh, five years ago. I don't. Mm-hmm. But once mm-hmm. people can, I used to be able to divorce myself from it. So for Harry, it was one thing. And then Kimberly, Nicole Foster was a different thing. Now those things are merged. Mm-hmm. And that means that I get a lot more pointed attacks. Um, I get a lot mm-hmm. of love, right? People are so, so freaking sweet to me. Like these AirPods I have in, like a subscriber, mm-hmm. like gave me these AirPods. Hey, That's amazing. Beautiful. Um, yes, that is. But... That does mean that I get a lot, a lot of nastiness. And so I have been just really struggling, to be honest, with how to deal with being accessible, engaging with people, using Twitter for what I've always used it for, which was to... uh, Talk to cool people and engage with people I would never have access to outside of the internet. Mm-hmm. And also people are so nice to me and have conversations with people who subscribe or even like addressing their concerns directly. But it it definitely has exposed me to people that I don't want to know. I don't want y'all to right. be able to contact me. <laughs> but you got to take the good with the bad. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's hard. It's been very hard, especially over the last year. Right. So who are your homegirls then? Like, how do you, because I know that that I also struggle with that. So like, there are certain things that I don't, like if we do an episode of The Grapevine, I don't ever go into the comments. I did it in the very beginning and, and it was like, okay, I don't mind people disagreeing with me, but one of my points that I like, it's really hard is when people comment on like my physical appearance. It's really hard for me to just you know, be like, oh, those people are crazy or, or, you know what I mean? So I just don't, like, my tactic has been to disengage. But also, there are two of us here. So there's, like, built-in support. So as somebody who, you know, you are your brand, how do you protect yourself and how do you care for yourself and, like, who are your people? Yeah, I make it a point to, I engage 
a lot with my real life friends. And I will say that I, people ask me all the time about like, why are you not friends with more internet people? And I will say I'm absolutely skittish about it. I feel, mm-hmm. I maybe this is paranoia, but I am very concerned about people. Like I know, okay, so here's what I'll say. There are these mm-hmm. message boards, okay? These message boards on the internet. And I'm almost like, are you about don't... to tell us about the Black Illuminati? No, no, no. <laughs> okay, because we want to know. There's this, there, <laughs> there are these message boards, and I know people from those message boards will even like find this, right? And it's like mm. they are dedicated to certain um, influencers or whatever, and basically all people do is like scrutinize you or say like yeah. she don't have no, she don't really have no money. Like she said she bought a mm. new car, but that car ain't new. Like I zoomed in on that, and it's mm. like okay, or like it's like. <laughs> And um, I am very paranoid about letting people, I don't want to be exposed. I really am trying to protect myself as much as possible and protect the people that I love as much as possible. And so my foundation are my best friends from college who um, Mm. are not trying to be put on, like they're not trying to Mm -hmm. be influencers. Sometimes I will reference some drama that I've been in and they will just be like, I have a real job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but that's really important because when you are embroiled in internet mess it feels Um, all consuming it feels like i am being attacked by thousands of people and the rest of my life is gonna be and they're like I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And that's really, really important. But also people who understand that they don't. Something I I hate is I feel like people who are invested in not liking me will interpret anything that I say through the worst possible lens. Right. That's all. Queen, did you write this down as a question? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like I think literally that that is in the body of one of our questions. <laughs> yeah. And so it's really important that I have a group of people who give me the benefit of the doubt always, who understand right. where I'm coming from, who don't right, question my right. intentions. So that's offline. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask something semi ridiculous because I am so obsessed with online. Do you have an online friend or someone equally engaged with online? That you can pull a, hey, have you seen this shit? Because that's, that's what I like to do. Like, have you seen this shit? Yeah. Like, just to that's another person. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what we do. That's what, that's what we Like, do you see this shit that's happening online? N- not that you have to or that you should. But I, I do enjoy, because I do enjoy engaging online to an extent, I do enjoy the occasional offline. Because I don't really um, engage with Twitter in that way. Because I'm also protecting myself and things like that. But I do like being able to hit up Queen and be like, yo, do you see this shit? See this? Yeah. <laughs> that's, who, that's who I do that right. way. Because none of my other friends are really... None of them are on social media right. in that way. Like you but, said, yeah. everyone else has a real life. Yeah. Real job. Yeah. <laughs> real, real, job. job real life. I have, I have like, people who... Nobody who has like online as I am, but occasionally right. I can send them something and try to give them the catch up. Like, okay, go to this timeline. Okay, connect these dots, right. and they they're willing to indulge me. But I have people who, who like 
85% get it. I don't have okay. a really good friend who 100% gets it. Who right. is like online right. the way that I'm online, which is very unhealthy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I am also online unhealthily. So if you ever yeah. want to hit me and be like, yo, do you see this, <laughs> this shit? Um, we don't have to have a whole kiki, but I'm down for uh Yes, I see that shit, girl. Okay. So if you, if you ever need that Seriously? moment. <laughs> so... The way that Jay and I, like, but the way we create content is that we are kind of learning in front of people as we're creating content. So, like, you've been doing this for 10 years. So I'm sure that there may be some politics or ideals that you had 10 years ago that you may not have now. What has changed in this process? How have you grown? Oh, totally. Okay. So, transphobia. I did not know about trans identities, trans experiences, gender identity 10 years ago. I took a lot Mm -hmm. of feminism classes in college and that wasn't brought up. And like, Mm -hmm. I find that, and I I know that that's different now because I talked to people who went to where I went to, um, but -hmm. it just was not, we weren't talking about it in the really sophisticated way. Like Gen Z, the way that Gen Z talks about gender and gender expression and gender identity. Yes, yes. Y'all are so far ahead. Um, So, Mm -hmm. um, absolutely. Uh, God, class. I think of class a different way mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. I grew up um, pretty privileged, like middle class life. I just, there was definite, I just didn't, it did not occur to me that, I don't know, I was just classist. I mean, that's that's it. Right. Like I just had lots of like respectability, yeah. like classist yes. views. And so I'm so thankful that social media has given me access to people who have just been like respectability politics is bullshit like mm-hmm. um you know the black bourgeoisie like needs to check itself like and i and i now better understand that black capitalism is not going to save us so yeah. i run a business and i make it a point to pay people fairly and um mm-hmm. but i'm not deeply invested in the idea of hoarding lots and lots of wealth I will be okay yeah. if I never buy a five million dollar house. That's not even real. That's not even on my my list of desires. There's like there's twenty things that I want to do with my life, and it is not um, buy a yacht. And so right. I fe- uh-huh. I feel good about moving away from that, divesting from that stuff, understanding the harms that capitalism has caused us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I question American imperialism now. I think. Um, my politics have been and still are to a certain degree very U.S. centric um, uh-huh. because the United States education system K through like postgrad encourages you to only think about the United States to embrace the idea of American exceptionalism um, mm-hmm. to not yeah. think about the ways that our freedoms these freedoms that we have they're only made possible by um, the death and mutilation and brutality against people of other countries um, mm-hmm. and really question my, my participation in that that system. Uh, and you know, I've also over the past decade been, I like having access to people, black folks of the African diaspora, because that goes back to the US centric mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I'm mm-hmm, a proud yeah. black American person. I'm a descendant of enslaved people on both sides of my family. Um, uh-huh. And so I just didn't grow up learning about 
the diaspora uh, about, I mean, I have very, you know, really backwards idea of Africa and, you know, Mm -hmm. Africans and all of that. And I'm so glad that I have been able over the past few years to unlearn that stuff and be like, oh, that's, Mm -hmm. that's bullshit. Like, why, why Mm -hmm. did you have that stuff? And let's, let's make some effort to correct it. Yeah. So speaking of your background, I guess when we were first planning to speak with you, I was wondering how you got here. You know what I'm saying? Like based Mm -hmm. on everything, quote unquote, like on paper, where you went to school, what you've accomplished and things like that. I I was wondering, how did someone like you become a black feminist? And I think in the ways that you are. Yeah. You know, uh, there's lots of different types of black feminists. And so I wondered a lot. And you've, you've offered a lot of that information in this conversation. And I appreciate that. I wondered, like... Who did you grow up with? I wondered, how did you get to Harvard, right? Like, were you were you tracked? Like, I know that there are people who they've been going to boarding school or private school their whole life or whatever. Like, were you tracked to go there? Did you grow up around white people? Like, I had all these questions. Mm-hmm. And I know that this is this is to your point of, like, being exposed to the Internet and, like, getting to know people around the world or black folks around just even the country. You know what I'm saying? Because I grew up very Mm -hmm. New York centric. And so while we had a lot of people from the diaspora and black folks from all over, it was still a very like New York centric identity. And so even sometimes, um, and I went to Vanderbilt, so I had an experience of engaging with black folks from the South, engaging with white folks in ways that I had never had done before, whatever. But even still, it kind of when I meet people who I am politically aligned with, because so much of that politic is from ex- experiencing so many of the things I've experienced, I wonder, like, yo, well, where did they come from? Like, how does this <laughs> like what's what's their deal? How do we arrive at the same space? Mm-hmm. The, the right, right, um, right. And 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 that, some yeah. of that I, I, I understand based on like what you've said, but like to your upbringing and how you got to Harvard or whatever that is like, because I feel like there are people who are outside of white folks. I feel like there are certain groups of black folks who are tracked into those kinds of educational life tracks. And like, we're all set based on class and shit on different tracks. And there are people who, who break and bounce out of that. You know what I'm saying? But like, I'm just curious about like your upbringing and how you got there. Yeah. Um, so I made the decision that I was going to go to an Ivy League school when I was in sixth grade, seventh grade. Um, I was always like the tracking thing is really, really real. I was there weren't a lot of black people in the communities that I grew up in. And I was like plucked out and labeled like the except the quote unquote, we're using air quotes, quote unquote, exceptional black girl, the exception, like Mm -hmm. the kind of tokenized, if we're being honest, Mm -hmm. like smart black girl Uh really, really early. And by the way, not just in white spaces, right? Like also, Mm -hmm. also in black spaces. That yes. yes, we do that to ourselves. I, that's me, we do right? That yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was the beneficiary of lots of people saying, "I want to invest in you. You're smart. You're special." And I always 
knew that if I wanted to do something that I could do it. And so Mm -hmm. um, in my mind, I was like, okay, well, since everybody's telling me I'm smart, then I want to go to the best schools. And of course, now as a Mm -hmm. a 31 year old, I will put the best again in in quotation marks. In air quotes. Right. In in air quotes. um, Because, uh, you know, like that's what the expectation was. And I don't want to let them down and I don't want to let myself down. So I followed the path and I went to my was able to go to what was at the time my dream school um but mm-hmm. then when i and also i just wanted to get out i grew up in oklahoma in texas like suburban mm-hmm. those areas yeah. and i was just mm-hmm. like i need to go away i need to get out of here <laughs> um mm-hmm. and so i went to college and that just completely you know it's like in the wizard of oz where um, the first half of the movie is in black and white, and then like she gets to I don't know the place, and it turns into color. I don't know. That's in the Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Oh my yeah, god. yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like oh, I just made that. Um, I feel like going to <laughs> I feel like going to college was when things really turned to color for me because I was okay. able to not be so self conscious about being the smart black girl. Um, and I was able to find so many other black girls, black women who had similar experiences. And we were trying to work through the trauma of that experience. And mm-hmm. we were able to bond together. Um, it's just really, really reassuring when to finally be in a space where I was like, oh, I'm not the only one. I'm not crazy. Everybody been telling me I'm crazy for 18 years. Oh, I'm not yeah. crazy. Like yeah. that was it was so formative for me and that is why I just I cannot underscore enough the importance of building community with black women because of that mm-hmm. literally saved my life um, if I had not been able to find that community when I was 18 years old I would just be a completely different person so mm-hmm. then I was like oh my gosh hanging out with black people is so fun and it's so relaxing and freeing <laughs> and yes. um so then I all oh, when I was early, early in uh, my college career, all the black people were taking African-American studies classes. And I was like, well, I came here to be a political consultant. Like I am mm-hmm. going to major in um, government and economics. But if y'all are taking mm-hmm. the African-American studies classes, I guess I'll do that. <laughs> so um, I took those classes and another just like awakening moment like okay there's all this stuff that i was never taught and by the way mm-hmm. like my father went to an hbcu um he was right. also a black republican but that's a whole nother thing um oh, very very really? like he went to tuskegee like very booker t washington mm-hmm. conservative but we're not going to get into that okay, okay. okay. but it was uh-huh. um I grew He's up a man. Around. We won't talk about him. Don't worry. <laughs> I, I went into, uh, I grew up in spaces where blackness was, we t- it was celebrated, but in a kind of, um, in a respectability superficial way, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and so getting access to deep learning about uh, the history and the culture and the conditions of black people and all of the work that has been done is particularly the work of black women that we don't often hear about to help our people was like, oh, maybe that's what I want. Like, I, I want to do that. And then mm-hmm. the gender consciousness, I was finally when I got to college, um, able to put to find some words, to find some language to go along with 
all of that gender stuff that I had been feeling since I was eight or nine years old. And so the intersection of that new gender knowledge with the new racial knowledge just created, mm-hmm. you know, Kimberly, very passionate, like radicalized black feminist. And I'm really, really grateful that I had that experience because right. I feel like if I just made one different decision, if I'd gone to a different college, if I had not gone mm-hmm. to the BSA meeting that week, like, I don't, like, I don't know, the, right. the the trajectory of my life would be different. I would be working. Actually, I was, I was going to say, I was, nope. Um, a senator or something. I'm not going to say any names, but it was like I could mm-hmm. be living a completely different life right now. So it's right. a yeah. lot of serendipity. So if anyone Which doesn't know a lot, of, and a lot of blackness, how is being so engulfed in blackness, how does that make you feel right now with the current uprisings that we are having right now and the uprisings for black lives? Like, do you want to detach in some way? Do you, you know, like, how are you feeling about everything right now mm. in this in this moment? Yeah, it does not make me want to detach. I spent June, when did this start? The end of May? I spent um, the end of May and all of June saying, you know what, like what can't, what is my work? Um, I don't protest. Um, Uh It's just not my thing for a variety Mm -hmm. of reasons. But I do believe that we all have work to do. And so mm-hmm. I was trying to think, okay, so what is my work? What am I going to use this platform for? So I decided that I would use the For Harriet platform for political education, for having mm-hmm. um, really deep, nuanced conversations about white supremacy, about this structural racism. So I dedicated uh, that time to reaching out to activists and authors about these really like thorny issues. And um, I just feel like all of the work that I have been doing over the past decade prepares us for, well, prepared me for moments like this. Um, I don't feel fatigued by it. I feel energized by the opportunity to engage the community around things that I have been passionate about for a really long time. I, Mm. I love, I love that so many people are looking for knowledge. I get so many people every day asking me, what books should you read? What podcasts should you listen to? What other YouTubers do I should suggest to them? I love that. And I think that this is a moment where so many people are going to have that radicalizing moment that I had when I was 18 years old. And so, Mm -hmm. like, I want to be the gateway. Please allow me to be the bridge as long as you're not yeah. white, okay? Not for white people. <laughs> um, but if you're a black person and you're coming to consciousness and you and you want to know more and like why capitalism is not going to save you and why we need to divest yeah. from transphobia and homophobia and mm-hmm. why this prison industrial complex ain't shit, like, please, come here. Like, let's learn together. Yeah. That's exciting for me. <laughs> Money. Do you know what this year is? What every year is all about? Yeah, but like giving black this women year. your money. Yes, so give okay. black women your money. Hashtag pay black women, yo. Okay, okay. So, so how do they give black women their money? Well, they can start by giving us their money. Oh yes, yes. We do this dope ass women's race nerd podcast every motherfucking every week. week. 
sometimes and, twice um, a week yeah yo <laughs> and we could use your loving motherfucking donations um, we definitely can absolutely so how can you do that you can go to our website yo tvthqueenandj.com hit that donate tab and mm-hmm. we have two options there so two two you become a patron or you can just donate through PayPal. Yep. You choose. We mm-hmm. give you a choice That's right. on how you give us money. That's right. If you want to donate via Patreon, we're asking all of our listeners to break us off $2 a month. That's $24 a year. And if everybody who listens does that shit, we will have everything that we need to do everything we want to do for this podcast. Everything. And if you love us so much that you want to break us off a one-time donation, a multiple-time donation, or if you don't like the the once-a-month kind of system, you can go to our PayPal and give us any amount of money. We will take that shit. We will love that shit. We will appreciate that we shit. We will use that shit. That's right. So once again, teawithqueenandj.com. Hit the donate tab and choose your donation method of choice oh my god we're gonna get money again (laughs) all the time yes when we talk about womanism and black feminism and you've talked about your journey to gender consciousness and your journey to race racial consciousness and being embraced and building community with black women what was your journey to understanding intersectionality to understanding black feminism i remember going through a period in my early 20s when i felt like i'm not gonna allow white women to deny me feminism right so i'm gonna call myself a feminist that's what it is you know that's what i'm doing and eventually i grew so fatigued by engaging and not that i was engaging with a lot of white women period i just never have but just mentally just just mentally mentally fatigued from sharing a space with them in that way because so many of them are white feminists and it's abusive and it's harmful to us. And so I think I was, I was always aware of the intersectionality, but not necessarily in the ways that it was in the ways that my proximity to white feminism was actually harmful to me and exhaustive. And I'm, you know what? I'm gonna let y'all have that. I'm gonna step out. I'm I'm gonna head out. I'm gonna head out and be on this other shit over here. (laughs) So, how did what was your journey to black feminism in particular? Yeah, so I will say, despite the fact that the women in my family, the women in my communities, church communities, and other kinds of communities, like they wouldn't call themselves feminists, I think in many ways they often exhibited very feminist values and a they benefited from feminism and the way that they were able to navigate the world. So I always, even before I had the language, I just, I, I they lived it and I knew it. And it, it wasn't until college when I was able to engage deeply with black women's communities and find my core group of black women friends mm-hmm. and start doing the reading and like reading Alice Walker and reading Bell Hooks and June Jordan and Audre Lorde. And that was when I was like, oh, these feelings that I have, these things that I know to be true because I've lived them, there's a word for that. There's a term for that. And also, like, that is the foundation, like, lived experience. That is the foundation of black feminism. It's not like high Mm -hmm. level theory, you know, like it's Mm -hmm. it's literally Mm -hmm. about we're trying to uh, figure out how we can move through the world 
and experience like stop experiencing violence like that's like Mm -hmm. the foundations of it and so when i was able to read these texts and say oh y'all already thought through this like oh this is great (laughs) like i don't even have to do that work y'all have already you know like michelle wallace like y'all have already put these pieces together for me it was Mm -hmm. really easy for me to say oh i am that and i will say i New, I've I've never just been a feminist. I've all I went straight from I don't know what this is to black feminist. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, but I would mm-hmm. say in college I tried to engage with the just feminist spaces, right, which are like multiracial but really just white women, and right. and yeah. and I would go mm-hmm. and I took you know feminist classes like in the women's and gender studies partner which is you know uh-huh. uh, all yeah. white women and maybe one other Asian yes. woman or something like that. And I remember thinking, I'm really glad that I'm getting this knowledge, but this is actually not my space. Like, this is actually not, from, like, mm. y'all are doing something different. So I, I'm glad well, yeah. I'm glad that I'm, I'm reading um, Betty for Dan. Like, I'm glad I'm reading um, The Second Sex, right? Like, those, those um, iconic, like, white feminist texts or whatever. Mm. But I'm yeah. glad that I am, I'm getting this knowledge so that I can, like, deconstruct it and be like, actually, here's where y'all right. fucked up. Um, and I yeah. and I never felt mm-hmm. completely safe in those spaces. I never mm-hmm. felt like when I would talk about my particular experiences with gender inequity, like people really got it or understood it. And so from though from that time, I was like, okay, we're gonna have to make our own stuff. But also like. I'm not the first black woman. Like, all black feminists mm-hmm. have had that mo- moment. Like, right. if you really in- engage with the text, like, you know, you read uh, this bridge called My Back, like the the Sheree Moraga's, like, uh, anthology, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so many feminists of color, like, black women, like, have that moment of being, you know, being in a space with a white woman and, like, side-eyeing them and being like, you're fucking up. Like, okay, we gotta, mm-hmm. we gotta make mm-hmm. our own stuff. So right. it, it, it really was college where I was like, and le- college is when I started for Harriet, right? It really was that, that time where mm-hmm. I was like, we've got to carve out our own spaces and leave those people behind because they're just not, yeah. they're just not going to get it. Right. Right. Yeah. They're, they're not about this life. Yeah. No, they're not. I w- it just reminded me of college. And I grew up very patriarchal, so I was never really interested in women anything, you know? So I peeped that everyone in church is a woman. <laughs> like, there's not even any men here. And we're still <laughs> fucking uh, catering to the two men that are in church and, like, doing all... So I, I think that I valued my personhood and knew that I should be equal. But I- it took me a while to value womanhood because i was so used to it seeing like seeing it being like shitted on and like, i was just it like, was an oppressive yeah, space I, just so like, I don't want, want any to... of this how about all yeah. of you like leave me alone entirely <laughs> so when i went to college i i was one of those people taking all the black classes or whatever and it never even crossed my mind to take any women's studies class because i always i knew who was going to be there it was going to be you know all white women and that for me was was already a dangerous space just because they were white. I, I hadn't even processed the the nuance of allowing myself to get close to a white woman and then listening to her in my class say something that's clearly anti-black, clearly, because they, mm-hmm. they did that in the other classes anyway or whatever. So I just never got that far into actually being in a woman's studies class with white people. All the other classes were, or being in class with them was already so hard. Like I just never, I never felt 
any level of togetherness with white women ever. Yeah. I mean, I will say that. I will also say that I'm glad that, and I also took classes that were like specifically about the work of black women as well. But I am glad Mm -hmm. that I have the like, the um, air quotes like classical feminist text foundation mm-hmm. um and that like i've read a, a wide range of things because i also have the experience of being in the black classes like the the i had took a class oh actually i actually won't say that because that's gonna say somebody's name okay i won't say what class it was okay <laughs> well I, I have a class story now too now that we sound like class stories because i have a class story too okay. <laughs> but, um, but um i also have the experience of being in african-american studies classes that were very um sexist and like yes. we're yeah, where yeah. there's no women on the syllabus. Black nope. Right. We're not talking about black women's history. We're not talking about nope. black women's contributions. Nope. And so I I had the foundation to intervene and say, hey, uh, we had twelve weeks of studying and ain't no black mm-hmm. women here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. No no yes. no black mm-hmm. women can. Contributed to this movement. No black right. women contributed their intellectual labor to what mm-hmm. you're discussing. How is that possible? Yeah. So I think it's yeah. really that balance is really now, you know, right. I'll say exposing yourself to the violence of white women in women's and gender mm-hmm. studies classes. Like you don't have to do that. But I do yeah. think it's important like to have uh, like a, a feminist or a womanist foundation so that you can speak right. up when black men are being yeah. sexist. Mm-hmm. No, I yeah. feel you completely. I was in a class, speaking of classes and black people, <laughs> I was in a class, <laughs> one of those African-American studies classes and this black teacher uh, with tenure, uh, professor said- They're always the worst though. They're the always <laughs> the worst. Okay. <laughs> this woman- <laughs> sat up there and said that the because there was this whole period of time where they were still trying to confirm and verify uh thomas jefferson's fucking black yeah descendants so she sat up there and said that the the dna proof of their existence ties black americans to the founding of this nation Hmm. yes that's violent as fuck right so like like our we needed that blood tie to verify our existence in this country was her point and when i challenged her she Hmm. didn't get it nobody got it nobody whatever it was was like a a moment in time that nobody cared about but anyway i had no other uh reason to tell that story except to relive the horror so (laughs) 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 that that's my only point is that that happened and um had either experience so like i when i went to college i didn't go to the women's studies classes or the black studies classes because i felt like of course i didn't know the black shit but when you're young you think you know because of the background that i have that was so black centric it was like "Eh, i know the history i know the things and then gender studies was just like some white shit Mm -hmm. for me and i was not attracted like even when when me and janicia first became friends i was like i'm not no feminist like, oh, I remember those shit. conversations. I'm, uh-uh, I'm a black woman. I'm a black woman. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like whatever. And of course I have grown, but I didn't think that, I didn't see myself. Now I realize I didn't see myself fully in either space. Yeah. And that's probably why I didn't engage in either space. Because there's so much patriarchy, even in black learning or whatever. And then in the gender space, of course I'm going to be ostracized in my blackness. So I think that, 
I like when I look back on my life, I see that there's times where I could foresee my othering and I would just stay away from those spaces. Yeah. Cause like in college, I just was just like, you know, I'm not doing either. I'll just read my own books. Yeah. But that's why like, I whatever. love the babies. And by the babies, I mean Gen Z. I love, I appreciate uh, them so much because they have had access to all of this knowledge and they are so unapologetic about speaking up and saying this shit is sexist. This shit is heterosexist. You Mm -hmm. are being homophobic. Like I do remember feeling very alone when I would, I mean, I remember very distinctly a conversation about the autobiography of Malcolm X and you know, there's some sexist stuff in that book and Mm -hmm. because Malcolm X was Okay, but anyways, uh, <laughs> he was a pimp, a pimp. Okay, no, but he was sexist. I mean, like the Nation of Islam, yeah, like it was, even is a very sexist space. And so, yes. um, and I remember people would say these things, and I would just push back against it, and I was just, it was just, I felt very, and there were women in these classes, and I felt very alone questioning that we are just accepting the things that Malcolm is saying in this book and we're not pushing back and that and Mm -hmm. pushing back doesn't mean we have to throw out the whole text it doesn't mean that all of his contributions to um black culture and black history the the movement to liberate black folks that that stuff is invalidated it does mean that like we don't have to accept sexism misogyny at face value and i and i hope and i pray and this is what i hear from the, the 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 children gen z that when that stuff comes up now that there's not just one person who's out here looking crazy people are looking yeah. at me crazy because yeah. i'm saying hey by the way uh actually women are not evil right <laughs> like yeah. like actually yes, actually yes. women are not inherently sneaky you know like there's mm-hmm. there's parts yeah. in that book mm-hmm. that say yeah. that yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah definitely so with i'm talking about your you know being on youtube now you see a lot more of your interviews and a lot more of your conversations with people and I get the vibe that you're you're like very intentional about who you talk to, what you're going to talk about, which a lot of media spaces generally aren't. They just want to the whoever's the next hot person to be sitting across from them and having a conversation with them. But you seem like there's a lot of intent with who you interview and why you interview them. So how do you go about deciding who you're going to have these conversations with? Yeah, I am fundamentally guided by my own curiosity. I make the content that I would want to see and that helps me to not second guess the decisions that I make. It also helps me to not chase trends. Sorry, I just hit the microphone. Uh-huh. It, it helps me to make stuff that I feel like is going to stand the test of time, whatever that means on a platform like YouTube. And yeah. so I really... You know, if if I invite a writer on, I've read their book maybe more than once. And if I invite activists on, it's because I followed them and they've taught me things or they've written things that I think are really compelling. I think that it's so easy 
on these platforms you know youtube is basically a big search engine so there's all kinds of incentives to just do what's hot or trendy or things that you know are just gonna get lots and lots of views like i know how to make popular videos i've made quite a few very popular videos but at this point at this political moment i feel like my responsibility is to make stuff that i think is going to um, educate people, um, provide them with perspectives that they might not have access to anywhere else on the internet. And so that's that's mm-hmm. really what how I make my decisions. You know, like I'm always interested in doing new shit. You know, I feel like I have a really unique uh-huh. opportunity to do some new shit stuff that is not done uh-huh. anywhere else. And so I always want to take if, you know, if everybody else is going left, like I want to go right, but I also want to go mm-hmm. right and do it really well. I want to be exceptional. Yes. With the intent that you use to make sure you're talking to the right people or people that you're curious about. Another thing that I really admire and notice about your work is that you do an extensive amount of research. Like you just said that you'll read the book two or three times and do like, what is your process when it comes to setting up an interview with someone? I know there's a lot of background work. Mm-hmm. How much background work happens before we even see you having this conversation on your channel with whoever the guest is? Yeah, I think research is so freaking important. I understand that for a lot of people that I invite on YouTube, like they 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 have skepticism because YouTube has a a reputation for, I don't know, being trash. I don't know, like being trash, right? Uh (laughs) And so I feel like I have a responsibility if I'm inviting them on this platform that they're already skeptical about to show up and make sure that they know I'm serious. I'm as serious about this as you are. So I do mm-hmm. I do read books. I do take notes. Um, thankfully, now I have um, assistants, right? So I can say I'm going to be sitting down with, I don't, we'll say Ibram X. Kendi or whatever. So I only have 24 hours in the day, right? Like, same 24 hours as Beyonce. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, Not the same. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. But I will say, on the Beyonce thing, this only happens because I now have the ability to hire people to help me do extra stuff. So I read, mm-hmm. but then I will ask them, okay, y'all um, listen to his podcast interviews or watch his videos. What did he say on those videos? Or read his written interviews. And so I do my... I work in my research and they do their work and their research and then I come mm-hmm. I combine all of that and cherry pick out the best questions from that collaborative effort I definitely don't do it I can't at this point do it all by myself to that point about talking to other people I find that and I think that that comes from like talking to people you really want to talk to like you always look like you are engaged you care about what they have to say I can tell um you have a very expressive face so I can tell when somebody has said something that excites you or whatever so I always enjoy that (laughs) with the intention that you have made in interviewing and talking to people that you want to talk to have you ever had I guess a quote-unquote a bad interview Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's lots of interviews that don't make it to YouTube. I mean, mm-hmm. so um, sometimes people will be like, you need to post more. And it's like, I'm actually producing, I make quite a lot of stuff, but I right. have a high bar for what I think deserves yes. to be on the channel. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of times where I'll say I let myself down when I was like, oh, you did not, like... There are times when I was like, oh, I didn't prepare enough for an interview, meaning um, a thing that I do 
before I do interviews is I do my own research and then have somebody else do their research and then we talk about it and, you know, I try to pick the best questions. But then I also will go through the questions and order them in the right way. I think the flow of a conversation is really important. So we're Mm -hmm. not just, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to tell a story, tell a story in the interview and make it cohesive so that everybody can follow it. And sometimes... Mm -hmm. There are times when I was like, oh, I just did not do, I didn't order it the right way. I didn't practice those questions enough. Um, Mm. Also, sometimes, you know, even with the facial expressions, I'll be like, Kimberly, you were just doing too much. Why are you doing all that? (laughs) Like, like, it really, it's like, it don't take all that. So why did you do that? Because it's just, it can become distracting. And so there are absolutely times where I'm like, oh, this can't go up. Like, that's embarrassing. Yeah, there's I have, I have a lot, actually, of interviews that are, are not on the channel that have been done. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Have you ever done one that you would, that maybe was going bad, quote unquote, and that you were able to salvage or like turn it around or yeah. use it for good in some way? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll you don't have it. to expose. You don't have to expose. Uh, well, I will say that um, I felt like, <laughs> so the, the interview that I did with, okay, I'll say the name, with um, okay. Ibram Kendi, who wrote How to Be an Anti-Racist, I felt uh-huh. that at the beginning, like, he, mm, it was not the best at the beginning for, for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And I feel like sometimes you just have to give people. So, and that's the reason why I like an hour, like an hour, an hour and a half, because it mm-hmm. gives people time to relax. It mm-hmm. gives y'all, yeah. t- especially, and this is why it's important to know your shit before you get into an interview. And this is why I do a lot of prep and rehearsal mm-hmm. is because when you know your shit, it, allows you to relax and focus on rapport. So I don't have mm. to, if I really know my shit, I don't have to be worried about what's the next question. Okay, right. what's good, right? Yeah. I can see that, like, maybe he's a little uneasy. Like, this is a little awkward. So, like, let's focus on uh, having some conversation, going going back and forth with him, um, mm-hmm. trying to, to create a relaxed environment where yes, there's some some questions that I want answered, but so that the conversation can flow more naturally. And I think yeah. that it really just is about just being relaxed. Like if I'm stiff, like people are going to feed off of my energy. And so while sometimes I'm like, Kimberly, why are you doing all that? It's too much. You're doing too much. <laughs> um, I do think that sometimes the the enthusiasm with which I approach these conversations, the kind of informality with which I approach these conversations allows academics in particular the space to just be a little freer and more comfortable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So we did talk about how we're coping with COVID and all of that shit. Um, how has that affected your work? How has that affected what you what you do and what you produce? Yeah, you know, I have been more productive than ever during quarantine time. I think that, mm. well, for good and for bad. So, you know, I have had this conversation with my therapist is I avoid my feelings. I've always been the type of person who used work to avoid my feelings. So Mm -hmm. from the time that I was, 
I mean, ever since I was really, really young, I was an overachiever. But being able to achieve mm-hmm. things and make things and get positive feedback on that stuff allowed me to not deal with like real emotions and real trauma. Right. Um, and so I found myself falling back into that same process during quarantine times. And I think the tricky thing about it is that when you are hyperproductive, people congratulate you. Oh my gosh, how are you getting so much stuff done? Like you're doing these interviews? Like, how are you? And I'm like, oh, actually I'm suppressing my feelings, but I'm so so glad you noticed, right? And so I've really had to be intentional about, okay, am I running away from something right now? Like when I am spending 12 hours at my laptop. Am I running away from something right now? Um, Mm -hmm. Because a lot has been lost. I mean, you know, like this is a scary, traumatic time. I feel, um, I feel like I've grieved this summer. There are so many things that I thought I was going to be able to do, travel, hang out with my nieces, make new memories Mm -hmm. that are just not going to happen. And I'm trying to make sure that I allow myself time to grieve and feel things. But I also, as I mentioned earlier, feel very inspired by the number of people who are genuine. They just they are at home and they are using this time at home to learn some new shit, engage Mm -hmm. with some new ideas. And I do Mm -hmm. feel like I feel a sense of responsibility, but I also feel really grateful that like I'm in this position to be able to do that kind of work. And also now that I'm having so many conversations, like community conversations, like on Instagram and other places, I love that I have created this space where so many like interesting, thoughtful, dynamic black women, like we can come and have real ass conversations about our Mm -hmm. lives and our experiences. Like being able to to foster that kind of community really like brings me immense joy. But I am trying to make sure every single day that I'm imbalanced and that I'm just I'm not using making stuff to mask pain you know I have, I have to check in with mm-hmm. myself all the time are you sad because sometimes I'm sad right. <laughs> right. sometimes yeah. I'm sad sometimes it's a sad day mm-hmm. um but yeah it's it's definitely a tough balance to strike mm. I am going to get therapy right after this I was about to say right I was about to say Jay it sounds like you felt something <laughs> I did I am often sad so that's not a question that I have to ask as much but I I accept that I'm like a workaholic but I I guess I don't really think about why and I'm like oh, yeah, it's probably because I'm sad I was hearing I was hearing Jay while you were speaking <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that sounds like my friend. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's really, really common. And I've said this in another video, but it's really difficult to acknowledge because there are so many rewards, social rewards, financial rewards for overworking. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so yeah. it's really you can just you can convince yourself that you're doing something good when in reality you're, you're, you're hurting yourself. And I have experienced, mm. you know, I had a mental breakdown after my third year of college and I've experienced what happens when you have to take a break, when you're forced to sit down and all right. of your shit mm-hmm. comes crumbling down. Like, I, I don't want yes. that. I don't want to do that in my 30s. I did it in my 20s. Right. I'm not right. doing that again in my 30s. So I'm checking in with myself all the time. Mm-hmm. 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 
I like that a lot. Mm. For listeners, I have gone to therapy before. Okay, everybody relax. I did it twice. <laughs> Not two sessions, but two periods oh, in my well, life. Well, to new, new listeners. Yeah, to new listeners. Right. So it's it's uh, on my agenda. I talk about it all the time. It's not it's not something that I am like um thinking of just now getting into, but it is something that when I am in those in-between periods, it does take me a long time to like get back on top of it. It just feels so taxing to find a new therapist and like it is a process. Yes, it is. that whole it's hard. once I'm process. in the groove, I'm cool with it. We're in the groove, but it does take me a minute to like start over with that shit. But now that you fucking told everybody that I'm sad, I guess <laughs> I'll fucking go again. My goodness. Jeez Louise. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, I want to get into, just because the last time we all spoke together and we were um, interviewed by you, actually, and we were talking about hair, mm-hmm. um, and we're all 4C girls, 4C, 4B, mixture, whatever. How has Rona been treating your hair? Because I remember us talking about hair and it was like, 4C hair is difficult. Yeah. How do you get it together? Yeah. Um, if you don't do like for me it's not too difficult because I do hair but if you're someone who doesn't do hair yes it's going to be a little more challenging so like Rona has taught us <laughs> lots of lessons yeah what <laughs> hair lessons has it taught you yeah it's been so crazy so first of all I think I have also learned that I am not 4C okay I used to have 4C okay. hair oh. but I don't anymore because okay. I don't I, I think it's because of manipulation and like straightening Mm -hmm. that the texture of my hair has changed but i definitely i've worn my hair out on the channel and people have been like you said you were 4c and you are not 4c (laughs) (laughs) okay i thought so what what would what are you like 4a 4b like 4b maybe 4a i don't 4b 4b okay when I, from the videos I've seen with Shahira, I would say like maybe a 4B, 4A. Okay. But a lot of people have mixtures too. Right. So like, you know, like the front of your hair could be yeah. a 4B and the back could be a 4C. Yeah. You know, but like, so but. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to come clean. I'm trying to be honest. I'm not fronting. Like I'm not trying to like perpetrate like I have. I used at one point in my life. I, okay. But today it's 4B, 4A. <laughs> It does. Um, your texture, okay. texture does change over time, though. But I heard that as well. But um, I will say that I actually am something that coronavirus has given me that is genuinely a gift is being forced to do my own hair and mm-hmm. um, figure it out and comb it and figure out the the shea moisture products that I like and mm. the. Um, whatever other shit that, you know, and do the deep conditioning <laughs> and stuff because I definitely was running from it. Totally. Um, mm-hmm. I was like a dedicated uh, protective style girl or go to the um, hair salon every two weeks. Like, don't miss a two weeks girl um, because I just did not want to have to deal with it. And I never, yeah. I genuinely never thought that I would come on camera with my natural hair out. Genu- I just didn't because mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, that means I have to do it. Oh, I'm not doing it. 
Um, and I also say <laughs> that I never thought that I would be on camera with no makeup. Like, I just, I mm-hmm. thought that I needed mm-hmm. those things yeah. to feel like I was worthy of being seen. And mm-hmm. c- yes. coronavirus, you know, being forced into the position where I have to comb my own hair and figure it out and try the styles and try the products, it has given mm-hmm. me a new sense of confidence about, you know what? Y'all gonna watch these videos anyway. Like, I realized, <laughs> I realized that people are not coming to these videos because Kim has her nails done and Kim has fresh braids and Kim does her makeup. Yeah. People are coming to these. Mm-hmm. And if they are, y'all can go. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll be fine. Um, <laughs> I realized that I, I am just as worthy of being listened to and just as worthy of being seen with no makeup, eyebrows looking crazy, hair undone. And that the people who get it, They'll get it, you know? And I will mm-hmm. say okay. that there are consequences. So so I feel I have a new sense of confidence and I know who I am and I know I don't need all that stuff. But I'll also say yeah. people on the internet call me ugly all the time, all the time. Mm. But I'm still on here with no makeup, right? So so I feel, I feel really like weirdly proud of myself, the fact that I overcame those insecurities that have mm-hmm. been festering and I've been pretending like weren't insecurities for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. And so now, whenever I do choose to put on makeup, whenever I do choose to do my hair, I am doing it because I want to. Like, not because yeah. I feel pressured, not because mm-hmm. I'm trying to meet somebody else's standards, but because I really, mm-hmm. like, take joy and, like, pride in adorning myself a certain way. And I'm yeah. so grateful for that freedom. Charlotte. So, like, being someone who is from the academic space that you are from, usually when I have interactions with those folks, there's, like, an elitism tied or a condescending kind of way of, like, I have this information that I'm now sharing with with you um, peasants type of, you know, thing. And I don't get that from your work at all. It's still very accessible. For even if someone who doesn't have all of the language yet, it's still something that is really accessible for whoever is taking in your content. And is that something you do with intent? Is that something that just comes naturally? And uh-huh. how, how do you do that? How does that work? Yeah, you know, I think accessibility is relative because I also get people telling me all the time that you think you're better than us. You think you're better than the mm-hmm. audience. You use uh-huh. all of those big words. Who are you trying to impress? And I really just do what comes naturally to me. I really am committed to making the best work that I can in a voice that I, that is authentic to me. And Mm -hmm. I'm always just trying to do something that I just haven't seen elsewhere. And I do think, I wouldn't see, I wouldn't say, I acknowledge the fact that the way that I approach theory or you know pop culture conversations or these conversations about black women's lives like it isn't gonna be the most accessible to everyone Mm -hmm. um but I don't I just don't feel I'm not gonna change like it's like I read the Atlantic right and I read um you know the New Yorker and right and it's like I when I read the New Yorker there are regularly lots of words I don't know. They be saying, making arguments, and I'm like, hey. Or like, this this article <laughs> is like too long. I don't know what you're saying, but I know what I've signed up for. You know, and so, uh-huh. and then I okay. read I read yeah. other stuff. I go to other places um, for lighter stuff. 
And so mm-hmm. I, I just feel like you know that if you come to a For Harriet video, that Kimberly is going to give mm-hmm. you research. She's going to give yeah. you words, <laughs> um, like a genuine care for black people and black mm-hmm. women and femmes in particular. Um, yeah. And if you get it, you get it. And if you don't, that's okay. You can just mm-hmm. scurry mm-hmm. on to another community. But I know right. who yeah. I'm who I am making this for and I don't I don't feel like I'm talking down. Like I feel like I am trying to be as careful and empathetic as I possibly can, but I also mm-hmm. know that I can't try to switch and contort myself because somebody yeah you know right. it just that comes off when we consume content where somebody is like trying to be something that they're not or trying to talk yeah, to an audience that. that they are not familiar with or whatever you can definitely read that for me when it comes to um a lot of black academics sometimes i do feel like sometimes i feel like like what you mentioned earlier about the groundwork like right like i'm gonna put it in my, in my language but like the real yeah. feminists the real black feminists are our mothers are like the women that we saw living it doing it or whatever and then academics and you know people like us who study it and reinterpret it or whatever we are studying what uh real bitches have been doing forever you know what i'm saying and i feel like sometimes the academics tend to center academics and tend yeah. to center um you know, each other and that class of people as the people who matter, you know? And I think we can do a really good job of... of, Yes, This is so important, right? Because people are always asking me, like, I hate these questions and I appreciate them, but people are like, when are you going to get a PhD? When are you going to go back to school and get a PhD? And I engaged somebody with this on um, my Instagram and I was like... Getting a doctorate would not make my life better. It actually would would make me less free. Um, I would Mm -hmm. not be able to do this work if I was trying to navigate academia. And I I think that academics, and I I know lots of academics, like a Mm -hmm. lot of people with doctorates, and their primary motive is to perform for other people in academia because you're trying to get Mm -hmm. tenure you are trying to develop your professional reputation Mm -hmm. you you and Mm -hmm. and you're black right so you have to do even more of a performance of i do i know these things and you know theory and Mm -hmm. all of that and I love that I have the freedom to talk about Meg the Stallion if I want to talk about it and talk about it seriously and and I, and I don't have yeah. and I don't have to make excuses for well actually this is a real thing you know and I don't have mm-hmm. to like try to mm-hmm. tell white people why this matters you know right. like yes. the, right. the 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 freedom of being able to approach literally whatever the fuck I want to talk about mm-hmm. and still yeah. you know bring in all of the the academic work and the theory work and but the actual like experience stuff and meld all mm-hmm. of that together in a really unique way like that right. is really mm-hmm. important and that is why i respect the black women in academia we need that work but there's a lot mm-hmm. of great black feminist work happening outside and we should mm-hmm. take that just as seriously because that's where most yes. of us are hanging out right. Right. We, we're <laughs> not able to get into those spaces yeah. so we should yeah. just yeah really exactly. take pride that we can do we can do it all 
And yes. and when I say for what, like I'm not I'm not shitting on you know get a PhD and whoever wants to do that I think that's fantastic and I agree that we do need people who do that work. But like yeah, people telling you to do that when I say for what, it's like I feel like like and that's not to say that you don't have other aspirations, but you're doing the thing. You know what I'm yeah, saying? You're, you're doing you're, the you're thing. You're creating doing the, work. the work. And I feel yeah. like what would the PhD add to that except that you would have a PhD? You know what I'm saying? And it, it's yeah. just. I don't know. Yeah. It's just um I feel like there is yeah, there's an elitism that I wish didn't exist in this space that we yeah. exist in and are sometimes um discouraged from existing in. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, it's just um I don't know, it's something that I think about. Yeah. I want to add that like so no you're not like on the streets physically protesting, but like the way that you are going about your work is you know, on the streets, air quotes, in terms of, like, how you're presenting the information or talking or having these conversations that's not in a classroom. Yeah. You know, so I think that people don't 100% understand the value that is in the way that you do your work versus it being in a classroom with a PhD and with, you know, some some paper that, yeah. you know, shows all of this field work that you've done. And it's like, that's not... That's not where all the value is when it yeah. comes to like. Or I don't need that thing. validation. I mean, I'm not looking for that kind of validation. I know exactly mm-hmm. what I want for the next five yeah. years of my career, 10 years of my career. And I want to continue building an institution. And institution building is very difficult. It requires a, a certain amount of work and time and focus. And I would not be able to do the kind of institution building that I want um, in academia. But also people say, I hope X channel hires you. I, I hope somebody sees this mm. and you get a show on MSNBC. And mm. I have to say, Kimberly ain't trying to be hired. I'm not trying to right. be an employee. Like, right. so, I, so I feel like people think that I'm doing this stuff and creating this stuff outside. I'm built. You think that I've spent 10 years building this platform so that somebody at MSNBC can discover me and actually pay right. me less money than I make the right money. now, yeah. like owning my yeah. own stuff? No. Mm-hmm. No, and have less yeah. less freedom and have to sign contracts that say if you if you uh say cracker on uh, Twitter, then you're gonna get fired, <laughs> right? Like like no not cracker. No. <laughs> like like the the life that I desire is the life that I have built and am building and it is outside of yeah. all of that stuff. I absolutely believe that I have um the the capability and and with working with so many incredible people and giving other people like that also gives me a lot of self-esteem. The, the ability to hire other black people and pay them Mm -hmm. fairly and give Mm -hmm. them an opportunity to be flexible. Like I'm not going to be breathing down your throat. Just give me the work, girl, send the emails, girl, whenever you want to do them and then send me the invoice. Mm -hmm. I'll pay it. Like that makes me feel good. And I just will, would not have that if I was angling to get within some other white institution. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I love hearing that. Me and Jay all the time, because that that is, I think that is how Jay and I also exist. Mm-hmm. Like we're not tea with Queen and Jay is not a, a stepping stone to get to the right the the big right. you know like whatever. That's not what it is. This is what we do. Mm-hmm. This is what we love. This is you know like whatever. So it's just really refreshing to hear another black creator feel the same way and have those same sentiments and not be using this space as a step stone for the 
the next big thing that is attached to some white violation. Right, right. And, and yeah. there are a lot of people who create content the way that we do that are not for are not being paid, right? Or are not able to like make a living yeah. or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I understand yeah. people's desire to um monetize if that be from being hired or whatever it may be. But sometimes I watch people invest so much in trying to be discovered that they have like whole opportunities to like leverage whatever shit that they've created that like we think is amazing and dope. And um yeah, I don't know. I just feel like a lot of people like shit on their own work because they don't yeah. believe that it's enough or valuable until somebody else sees it. Some white person sees it and says, hey, yeah, sign with us. Here's a check, you know? Yeah. I also mm-hmm. think like having your business together, I mean, oh gosh, I feel this is so complicated because I I know how hard it is to become profitable. I know how hard mm-hmm. it is to figure out the business model stuff, but yeah. the the way to freedom is by figuring it out. And maybe mm-hmm. and it's difficult because I don't know if everybody's going to be able to figure it out. So like you mm-hmm. said, um, mm-hmm. Jay, like if if you need to sign the, the contract so mm-hmm. that you like yeah. do what right, you need to right, do. Right. Yeah. But I do feel very strongly about demonstrating that there is a way to do it outside of that, that you can mm-hmm. be profitable and you can and be stable and have health insurance and exist outside of those systems. We can build mm-hmm. new stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm just, since we're talking kind of about like business shit or whatever, and I'm going to ask this question, you can answer it in whichever way makes you the most comfortable. I'm not trying to get all in your business pockets and whatnot, but um, (laughs) as a content creator, your revenue, where does it come from? Does it come mostly from Patreon? Does it come mostly from ads on YouTube? Like how do, how are you generating revenue in a way that allows you to sustain yourself? I have no problem answering this question. I think it's Mm -hmm. so, so important that we be more transparent about money. Um, The vast majority of my money comes from Patreon, and I knew that that was Uh going to be the case. Um, That's why I started Patreon really, really early and tried Mm -hmm. to direct as many people there as possible. Um, YouTube be playing. They play with the ad revenue. Um, They can can decide to turn it on and turn it off and put you high up in the search ranking so people Mm -hmm. watch your videos or knock you down. I always knew that I did not want to have to depend on YouTube because the platform is so fickle. And so um, I would say I'm bad at math. Probably 85% of my income comes from, 80% Mm -hmm. comes from Patreon. And then there's YouTube. And then occasionally I'll get, well, back when the world was open, a speaking engagement and got Uh money from speaking engagements. And then occasionally we'll do a brand deal. Very rarely, because I'm not brand safe, quote unquote, air quotes, brand safe. I say what I want to say. Um, right now I'm doing this, this video series where I'm working with Patreon. That's going to pay me quite a bit of money. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's like diversify. That's my, like Mm -hmm. diversify your, and even, and I'll say that 80% of Patreon actually is not ideal. I do make a lot of Mm -hmm. money on Patreon, but now I'm really trying to think of how can I make it, get it down to 50% and like, 
Uh-huh. And there's also merch and stuff. I sell merch. Right. Like, I want to make sure that I am not completely relying on anything so that if if one day patreon is like oh actually we're not fucking with this black feminist shit anymore like that i can still be okay and still pay people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. got it and and since we're talking about money and the transparency like could you just add why you think it is important to be transparent about money we talk about that often on our show but it's just nice to have someone else into that conversation and talk about why we should be having these conversations and they shouldn't be so taboo. Black people are underpaid. We just are not yeah. paid enough. And mm-hmm. the o- opaqueness, opacity, opaqueness. Anyways, a lack of transparency. I, I don't know where it's going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any lack of transparency around employment, around finances only benefits the people at the top, the people who write the checks. It is important for Mm -hmm. those of us who are creators, um, who are employees, that we're sharing this information as much as possible so that we can lobby Mm -hmm. for ourselves, so that we can make an effort to be paid fairly. Now, I have tried to negotiate things and, you know, people be, be like, no. Uh, actually, we're not going to pay you that. And I've had to be like, okay, well, then I'm not showing up. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. mm-hmm. but um, I wouldn't have even have known to begin um, negotiating and advocating because I don't I don't have a manager. I wouldn't have even because mm-hmm. I I'm for many reasons, but that's not what this is about. But um, I wouldn't have uh-huh. e- I wouldn't have even known to begin negotiating or what to negotiate for if other people mm-hmm. if I had if I didn't have access to other people and they were yeah. not telling me. Oh, actually, fifteen hundred dollars? No, no, you need mm-hmm. to get thirty five hundred or five thousand or whatever. I also think it's important to be transparent about money because. When I say uh, I'm an independent creator, like I run this thing, there is often an assumption. They'd be like, oh, you broke. You don't have no, like, oh, mm. oh my God. Kimberly done got that Harvard degree and she out here broke. And it's like, mm. I'm not broke. Um, And, I, and I'm and i not deeply invested in, uh, like I've mentioned, like being a millionaire or whatever, but I'm doing okay. And I'm doing okay because I have, invested a lot of time in trying to figure out the money stuff and figuring mm-hmm. out how to negotiate and 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 getting the contracts right like working with lawyers and all of that kind of stuff i'm i am mm-hmm. as conscientious about the creative side as i am the money side those things go mm-hmm. hand in hand and if i am not consistently taking care of the money side then you know what kimberly has to do go back and get a real job or kimberly has to go get that phd because she can't make it on the internet and i don't want to do that mm-hmm. shit okay <laughs> so um i'm i'm very very just clear of like the money matters it matters mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. that's dope this was fucking fantastic it was queen you have anything Look. else I don't have anything else. I feel like we asked it all. I feel like we did the thing. We did do the damn thing. We did the thing. Uh, Kimberly, please tell us where we can find you. Tell us if you have anything coming up. Tell us where to send you our money. Tell us all those things. Oh, gosh. I am on the internet. Um, You can just search for Harriet on YouTube. For Harriet is on Instagram and Twitter. I'm on Twitter, Kimberly N. Foster. N is in Nicole. Um, that's KimberlyNFoster.com. Um, Twitter, Instagram. I don't know. I feel like it's pretty easy to find me. It's pretty like. I'm- <laughs> 
Um, yeah. And I don't know. I just make stuff whenever I feel like it. So, you know, if, mm-hmm. if you subscribe or follow or whatever, eventually I will pop up on your timeline. Well, thank you so much, Kimberly. This was so fun. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. Anytime. Anytime you want to come here and talk shit with us, we're down for it. We love talking to you. We love your work. We appreciate you. And we will put um, something in the show notes. Oh, yes. We'll put all of your... We have we've been off all months. So I'm like, what are we what are we putting in the show? <laughs> what are we doing yes, again? Yes, yeah, it's yeah, easy website, to find. Yes, YouTube it's easy channel. to find for Harriet. But we will put all the links in all the show notes so that you can get in touch with Kimberly and find her work and all of that good stuff. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our conversation with Kimberly Nicole Foster. Be sure to follow her on all of her social media platforms at For Harriet. Check her out. I don't think that she mentioned this during the interview, but she has For Harriet. And then recently she created another YouTube channel where she can talk more about like pop culture stuff because for mm-hmm. harriet is very much a black feminist centered platform yeah. and she wanted to be able mm-hmm. to interview other people and talk about pop culture and all kind of shit she did a really good panel recently on that series indian matchmaking so i don't know if you watched that on mm-hmm. netflix yet but that's a cool conversation yeah. so she's got a bunch of shit going on definitely check her out follow her she adds value to your timeline so be sure to do that she for does. sure thank you again mm-hmm. to kimberly we appreciate you thank you so much for being a friend to the show and yeah yo you ready to get the fuck out of here yeah let's get out of here but first make sure you are following us on all of the social medias me on instagram and twitter at t with qj you can also follow us on facebook and tumblr just search for t with queen and j there send us email t with queen and j at gmail.com we love the t-mail um y'all was still sending t-mail over the break yes, that was cute we appreciate yes. that that was that was cute thanks for thinking of us absolutely you can send us donations by going to our website t with queen and j dot com and you can also Follow us on our personal social media handles. I am at the Queen Speaks underscore on Instagram and Twitter. Who are you, Jay? I am Janicia F. J A N I C I A F. No, no. What? I just, just thought she was going to say it. I was going to say the F is for savings, but I wasn't sure mm-hmm. if I remembered how to spell my name because that happens often too. <laughs> but that's who I am on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me. You can fucking at me there, whatever. That's where I am at. What hashtags are you fucking with this week? Um, I'm fucking with the Black Lives Matter hashtag always and forever. I'm fucking with that too. All right. It's like, why the fuck not? <laughs> facts, 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 facts. This podcast was created, hosted, and produced by a black girl named Janicia and a black girl named Naima. Tea with Queen and Jay, we turn up responsibly. They say the first love is the perfect love. Something I won't know for two more months because my Amish father won't let me date or use electricity until I'm 16. But what's the difference? With this gigantic zit on my face, no boy would want me anyway. At least not one worth writing about. D told me to put toothpaste on it. Apparently, she thinks it should be cavity-free and mini-fresh. Is getting in my business part of the stepmother job description? I liked it better back in the day when it was just me, Miles, and Dad. Well, it's getting late. I better say goodnight.